0: Thank you, guys. Are you exiting now? Oh, gosh. Um, Jimmy Umloff and B.J. Odie are in Atlanta on a, in a conference, and so uh, he asked the high schoolers to lead us, and a fine job they did, except the drummer. The drummer was a old-looking guy trying to be. <laughs> he just wants to be a high schooler all over again. <laughs> oh, if you only knew. <clears throat> um, uh, I don't think I'm going to write on it tonight. I, I don't, I'm <laughs> There, that's uh, that's one of the things that'll help. Yeah, <laughs> left there. Um, Let me just remind you once again about that clock change thing, guys. Um, you know, we, we don't seem to ever get that 100% right. And this year it's in your favor, so you you want to get this one. I mean, this time it's in your favor. In the spring it's we lose, but this this week or this time we get to gain. So don't forget that. Um, turn with me, if you will, to the Book of Romans, and let's continue continue our study. Romans chapter three. I, I hate to do this, but I don't hate it bad enough not to do it, um, because I'm stealing a story from Jeff. Simons, that is. Um, it, it's just a... To me, it was a remarkable story yesterday. He told in my office about... Um, and, and I tell this story because it has some relevance for the text, I think you'll see in a moment. But... Um, Jeff was at a conference at the Stephen Olford Center here in Memphis, and um, there was a Ugandan Christian pastor that was at this meeting, and um, he was—I don't know whether he was reporting on the revival that took place in Uganda under the uh, the dictatorship of Idi Amin—and um, it was so unusual that a, that a a uh, Holy Ghost-authored revival. Had um, was taking place under this dictatorship and this cruel um, leader of their country. And so the, the group was either asking questions or he was sharing with the group, I, I don't know exactly, um, about the revival. They asked him to come up and share about the revival there in Uganda. And um, someone asked from the audience, what was distinctive about this revival? What was it that that made, what was it that kept it going so long there in Uganda, this revival uh, of God's people? And he, uh, he said, well, uh, I think it was definitely this. Um, the thing that fueled the revival in Uganda, <laughs> um, that when each Christian would pass each other, uh, someone who knew the other to be a Christian, they would greet each other like this. Brother, have you confessed your sins today? And they would, uh, he would recount how he had confessed his sins, and then the other would ask the other. So there was this mutual, ongoing, daily accountability for sin. Brother, have you confessed your sins today? Um, what if something like that were to break out in our church? to tell the other part of the story, Jeff, you are you going to use that one? Um, because I think this was so... Um, the Canningtons uh, taught Jeff's Sunday School class, and combined with Jimmy Unloff's Sunday School class, I, I think, Jimmy Martin's class, Jimmy Martin's and, and Jeff's Sunday School class combined, and the Canningtons spoke to them during our Michigan Scholars. And they were asking um, Jim Cannington uh, all about the mission field in the Philippines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, one person in the class stood up and asked this What do you think that the American church needs today? And about that time, Vicki, who was seated off to the side, immediately sprung from her chair and said, Could I answer that? Her husband had been answering the previous questions. Could I? And it was somewhat atypical of her because she her husband was answering all the but she sprang from her chair headed to the mic and said I, I've got to answer that question and um, and she said this to some of you might have even been in the class and she said I'll tell you what the American church needs repentance that's all she said you know um it's interesting. Uh, I, I think this brother from Uganda has, has got a hold of something. I mean, I, I, and then um, Francis Schaeffer used to always say um, that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. You know, the, the message of repentance and faith is something that the people of God need to hear about daily. Uh, as they speak it to their own souls. I, I just think that's a, a needed emphasis, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I don't disagree with Vicki Cannington, one iota. I think that the American church, including this one, um, needs repentance, uh, daily repentance of our sin. Just some just some thoughts that uh, I think have something, to, some little bit to do with our text tonight. What I want to do is read you the last uh, paragraph Of uh, chapter 3, because what you have in this closing paragraph, in this little section, is uh, you get a uh, a kind of a concluding statement on the part of Paul um, that lists for you the results of somebody who believes. In this gospel that he has explained to us in some detail, in verses 21 through 26, that is, if this is the gospel that we're that we're holding on to, then these things that he's going to list here, and there'll be three of them, uh, are going to be true of us. These are going to be the results of our buying in to this gospel, the one explained in 3:21 through 26. That gospel will produce these things and there's three of them, we'll talk about one a week but um, um, so I'm going to read this little paragraph together because that's what he's doing, he's kind of concluding his uh, explanation of the gospel with some application, here we go where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works, oh no but by the law of faith therefore we conclude That a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary... We establish the law. Now, I want to point out to you, there are three things there that we're going to talk about one of them tonight, that this gospel, if you believe it, will will do. Number one, it will exclude, it will eliminate all boasting. That's the first thing it will do. Number two, it is a gospel that is freely open to Jews and Gentiles, Um, as he mentions in verse 29. And then thirdly, it is a gospel that does not void the law, but rather establishes law. The law is not eliminated. It is established. It is underscored. It is, um, it is positioned more strongly. That's what this gospel will ultimately affect. Those three things. Um, and so the one that we want to look at tonight is verse 27. Um, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. So tonight, we want to look at the issue of boasting. <laughs> um, turn with me to... Uh, to just one previous chapter in, in Romans. We're going to do a lot of this stunning tonight. I, I just want to warn you. But let me just start this way. And look at verse 17 of chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> um, a particular problem with his Jewish audience, the people in his audience who were Jewish. One of the particular problems that there, his Jewish friends had was boasting. And he mentions it there in 2.17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, etc., etc. The point is, what he has just said now is the gospel will eliminate boasting, which was a peculiar problem of Judaism. Um, Gang, uh, it was not only the Jews' problem, it was a problem of Paul's. Do you remember when he is making his um, that statement? He, he, it's kind of a paroxysm where he it's just an outburst where he's describing himself and he talks about him being a, um, a Hebrew to the Hebrews and I was a Pharisee and of the, I was a Zealot and you know, all this business that he does in Philippians 3. And what he is pointing out, that is before he came to this gospel, that one of the things that he was so guilty of was boasting. Um, so it was his problem... It was Judaism's problem, and it's our problem, boasting. Now, guys, uh, I want to tell you right up front is there's boasting, and then there's boasting. For instance, um, I don't think Paul has in mind uh, when your little son says to the next door neighbor, little friend, my daddy can beat your daddy up. I, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. What he is pointing out is that when we embrace this gospel of grace, when we embrace a gospel that is centered upon faith and faith alone, then everything that would ever dream of uh, smacking of merit, every, um, every piece of self-righteousness would be eliminated. And it's, it's remarkable how we have found things in which to boast. And, and I'll list some of those for you in a, in a while. But one of the things that this gospel does, invariably, when it's understood correctly, is that it eliminates boasting, spiritual boasting, in anything other than Christ. Now, l- let me do something. Uh, I hope we can do it quickly. I don't want to bog you down. But I just want to show you that this is the theme. This is one of Paul's favorite themes And uh, thus, when it gets repeated so often, it underscores its importance. Let's just thumb through rather hurriedly. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 31, uh, um, I think. Yes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 31, that as, as, as it is written, "...he who glories, let him glory in the Lord." Let him be careful that his glory, his boast is in the Lord, and that only. Uh, How about uh, Galatians chapter 6? Paul mentions it again. Galatians 6, verse 4. He says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Uh, Did I read the right verse? I'm sorry. It is 614, not 4. There go the eyes again. Um, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He mentions it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, where he says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Um, I've got several other here that I would love for you to see, but I don't know that we've got the time. But let me show you just one, one place where James says it. In um, James chapter 4, verse 16, James picks up this theme and says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Um, oh, gosh. 416, I thought, or is it 4, I, I uh, It is 16. Let me see if I can find it. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? I, oh gosh there's five how about that I need my other glasses the other 416 which would be that would make it the real 416 and I'm reading to you if the Lord wills he shall say we'll do this and this but now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil and you know guys um this, the, the, the context out of which that James passage comes is the context of people saying that they are in some way in control of their destiny. Um, and, and I wonder if any Christians are ever guilty of thinking or even conveying that their future is somehow locked up in their marvelous planning sessions. God says, don't you dare do that. All such boasting is evil. I'm going to show you one more. This goes out of the Old Testament. And and this to me is um, kind of says it all. It's in the book of Jeremiah. Let me see if I can find this one well. Uh, Jeremiah 9, because I think this is what Paul has in mind, this kind of boasting. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Listen. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Now, guys, um, one of the um, frightening things is I, um, I, I, Jeremiah switches back and forth in his, um, in, his, in his book. But I think this passage, um, if you'll notice the context, is addressed to God's people. Um, why they're in such bad shape and why they're going to be destroyed and why, etc., etc. He is aiming most of this letter to the citizens of Jerusalem and why they're going to be uh, destroyed, etc., etc. And one of the things that he finds to point out is that God's people somehow have have taken it uh, unto themselves to boast in certain things. There are some who boasted in their wisdom. Uh, They boasted in their wealth or they boasted in their might. And all of that is uh, termed by God as to be a, a stench Now, guys, my point is this. Um, There are lists of things that the Christian church today, I think, has found to boast in. The professing Christian world has found to boast in. Um, The classic illustration, in in my mind, is the uh, issue of baptism. Um, It has become a boast, and a confidence. Um, ladies and gentlemen, there are whole denominations that feel uh, <clears throat> very strongly, in fact, that are you. if you are not baptized it, by their brand of baptism in their setting, that you could not by any means be a saved person. Now, uh, th- this may seem... Uh, Uh, very elementary to you. But think about what Paul has said in in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if baptism is a part of my salvific experience, what would I then be able to do when I stood in front of heaven's gates? I would be able to boast. Because some of it, uh, I indeed trusted in Jesus, did a lot of it for me, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, couldn't do it without that Jesus. But in the final analysis, I figured out that something that was going to have to be contributed by me to this overall experience was my baptism. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a boast. And Paul, I I think the entire Bible mentions this again and again and again. If we are going to glory, our glory is to be in the Lord and the Lord only. Let me mention a a couple others that are not as bad as baptism. But I'm telling you, I I am told this um, once a year uh, by somebody who I'm trying to figure out whether they're a believer or not. um, Tells me that they went through confirmation class. They were confirmed. You know, th- those things were were really designed with great motives to teach their children in the paths of righteousness, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's almost like the story I told about the ice being delivered to the, the uh, government building. Those, those things have become the grounds upon which men think they're safe. A confirmation class. I went through confirmation well, there's certainly nothing that could be wrong about it. But, ladies and gentlemen, when it becomes a boast, it is, it is positively wicked. Uh, because all boasting, all hints of merit, all senses of self-righteousness are to be excluded, says Paul. Um, church membership... Um, I I, um, find people who still think that as long as they're, you know, safe in a church someplace, that that is their ticket to heaven. And and that, ladies and gentlemen, is an idle boast. What What about giving? Has that become a boast among us? Well, uh, you know, you hear that only four percent of the professing Christian church ties, don't you? you? Hear that? Well, I'm not one of those. No, sir, Bobby. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm a sacrificial giver. You know, um, ladies and gentlemen, you you have to understand that that's not tolerable in heaven, or um, philanthropy. Um, I've been uh, helping people all my life. I've been doing deeds of service all my life. Uh, And and that's good. Who could ever complain about doing deeds of service? But ladies and gentlemen, it's self-righteousness. This gospel eliminates all interest in and propensity to boast in anything that we have done. Um... I've been a faithful husband and a good father. I hear wives talking about their husband. Oh, but he's a faithful husband and he's a good father. Well, that that's, that's laudable, but it's a boast. And if that is what uh, you sense that you have brought into this salvific experience to, to participate, understand, it is a boast. The one that concerns me the most, however, which I think Evangelicals may be guilty of and not even know it is that they boast in their faith. <laughs> I'm saved because I have faith, um, and it's it's kind of a, a confidence in my faith. And I've said this again and again and again, ladies and gentlemen. That's called fetism. That's called faith in faith. The object of our faith must be, as Paul has so delineated it earlier, it must be in this crucified Christ. That's all. There's nothing in my hand I bring. It's simply to thy cross I cling. Gang, um, you, you know, one of my favorite authors is uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, of course. I, I read him extensively. But um, in his writings, you will you will hear him... I mean every time I mean every other chapter he is including in his commentary a quote from that hymn <laughs> he's always using the, that quote and and I and I, I don't know why he does maybe it was his favorite hymn but it does indeed so properly represent I think what Paul has in mind when he says this gospel excludes boasting there's nothing in my hand i bring i'm holding on I'm holding on to the cross of Christ with both hands. And let him who glories, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, and I am the Lord. Uh Exercising loving kindness. Guys, I want you to know something. Your faith does not save you. No, ma'am. No, sir. The finished, accomplished, completed work of Jesus Christ saves us. That's all. And nothing can be added to that. Nothing. Nothing. Now, I guess I should go back and make sure that you understand. Please don't misunderstand me undercutting, the importance of baptism. I'm not. It's a very serious sacrament of the church, and I hope you're baptized, but it in no way contributed. And, I, I, and I'm telling you, if you have been, if you have been taught something similar, then I, I want you to know that you have room to boast. You went out and got baptized. And this verse makes clear, I think, that an understanding of the gospel prevents us from ever dreaming, from ever dreaming about opening our mouths, suggesting that there is something that we could contribute. I want you to see this this parable that is often used. You've seen it before. Luke 18. Turn quickly. And you'll get a glimpse of a man who's in the process of boasting. This is that famous parable of... uh, Uh, The Pharisee and the tax collector, beginning at verse 9, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. By the way, those two things usually go together. Self-righteousness and judging others. They usually go hand in hand. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even that nasty old tax collector back there. Now, again uh, has that ever crossed your mind to do something similar? Boy, I sure am glad I've been faithful to my wife. <laughs> you know, I've been a good daddy, and you know, I wouldn't dream of doing something like that. It knows everybody. That's that's the voice of a Pharisee. That is pleading his own merit. And 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 this gospel, um, rightly understood, is so much better than that. It's so much more comely than that. It is so much more uh, of a grand provision than that. It is a gospel that says, come and buy water, come and buy whatever. Ye who have no money, you got nothing to offer but this gospel. When we finally come to realize that, is for us. There is nothing that we bring as a purchase price because all boasting is eliminated when you understand this gospel, ladies and gentlemen. My concern is that the, that the evangelical world has learned to 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 parrot the words, "I believe in Jesus." And what they're believing in is they're believing in Jesus. And what we're holding to, holding fast to is simply the cross of Christ, where we're all boasting is eliminated. The, the, the verse goes on. Let's uh, finish it up. Um, by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul, I think, is using the term law in a little bit different way than he normally does. He's not referring to the Ten Commandments, I don't think. But uh, using it as to, on what grounds, on what principle is boasting excluded? Is it on the principle? Is it on the system of works that a a, a man performs? No, 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 he says. It is on the principle, it is on the system of faith that boasting is excluded. No merit that this gospel uh, encourages or leaves behind. In fact, it empties us of that. That's one of the applications Paul is making about this gospel. Gang, um... Uh, it is only on the principle of faith that you and I find our boasting hushed. You know the text uh, that he mentioned earlier in chapter 2 where every mouth is stopped. It's the same thing. When I understand this gospel rightly, mouths are stopped. Mouths are shut. There's no more um, looking inward. Inward. You know, guys, uh, in the new members class, as you know, um, we have this little system um, that, if you've been through the new members class, you know. It, to me, it's a it's a great little system. Um, I, it's a little way to <coughs> preach the gospel um, in a way that confronts people. I think by their own handwriting, because we hand out those two cards. I mean, that card with the two questions. Remember that? And they um, on that card. You're asked the two evangelism questions. Uh, If you come to the place where you know for sure that you're to die tonight, you go to heaven. And uh, we permit, of course, uh, disagreement over question one. But question two is um, let's say you were to die tonight and you stood before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And we ask them to fill out those two questions before the class begins. And then I tell them the story about how I came to know Christ in Fort Lauderdale. And then something that I say is, now, I'm not going to look at that card. But you've got the card in your purse. It's in your Bible. You're sitting on it. It's somewhere. What did you write on that card? Do you have something on your card that points to who you are or to what you've done? Because if anything on that card points to who I am, And what I've done, it means you don't understand this gospel. Because this gospel excludes all of that. It excludes boasting, ladies and gentlemen. And my charge to you uh, is to make sure that that's been excluded from um, from your spiritual repertoire. This is not a part of us. Because the gospel eliminates it. Because we understand that it is only by faith in what Jesus did for us that wicked folk like ourselves can indeed glory in God and in His Son. That is our only boast, ladies and gentlemen. And um, I, I think the gospel has to do that work on us. It has to shut our mouths. It has to humble us. It has to um, reveal uh, just how sinful we are, or we'll never enjoy a gospel of grace. A gospel that says, just as you are, that's all we're looking for. You bring your sin, that's what you contribute. You contribute nothing else, and the Savior will save people just like that. They understand. That my goodness, if the people at church knew me for who I really am, they wouldn't sit next to me in church. We understand that our merit has only been granted us, it's been given to us, it's been we've been robed in it. But it's a it's a merit that is full and free and born and produced by a God of grace. Why would I ever dream of of trying to tamper with something that God has made so richly free. And uh, when you understand the gospel and understand the need that we brought, then there'll never be any more boasting on our part. That's the first thing. That's the first result of the gospel of grace. We'll look at the other two in the coming weeks. Let's close. Father, um, oh, we celebrate this gospel. It is far more beautiful than we've ever known. It is a gospel that does not um, ask us to contribute because everything that needed contributing was contributed by a substitute, by a sin-bearing substitute And all of your righteousness was born on him and in him displayed. And what we have been asked to do is, Come, ye who are weary and heavy laden. Come, ye who are thirsty. Come and buy water without price. Father, um, we glory in that gospel, a gospel that does indeed stop our mouths from ever again thinking that we have merit before you. Um, it's a good thing to be a faithful husband and a faithful wife and we, uh, we celebrate those things, oh God, but none of that. Not our baptism, not our confirmation class, none of it. Matters to a hell of beans. Well, Father, baptism is certainly a covenant sign that you gave us, but none of it is a meritorious deed that we have done that will produce an opportunity for us to ever boast in your presence. Father, we won't do it then, and we are determined not to do it now. We are are determined to celebrate a gospel that in every way is complete, that when Jesus says, it is finished, he meant it. It's all been done for us by him. And in that gospel, we take our stand tonight. Might uh, people see that the gospel that we present is not one that tells people to stop all their sin. It's a gospel that points them to Christ and his finished work. Um, For all of us sinners, that is very good news. We, uh, We thank you for providing for us in such a rich way and telling us about it so clearly in this book. Might uh, Paul's description of it help us even more to understand the faithfulness of our God? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all, and good night.